Welcome to Unlocking Leadership. And after much anticipation, we're back with a brand new season and a brand new name. I'm Claire Carpenter, and I'm your host. I'm joined today by Andrew Selly. Andrew is the Chief Executive Officer of Bidcorp UK. Andrew, thank you so much for making time for our conversation today. No, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, there's so much for us to talk about, but let's start by saying a bit more about who you are. Let's bring that to life for me then. So Bidcorp is a name I'm sure many of our subscribers are familiar with, but tell us a bit more about, about your organisation. Yeah, Bidcorp, we're one of the biggest uh, suppliers to the hospitality industry of food and drink and, and packaging, etc., we operate under a number of brand names. So our main sort of wholesaling business is called Bid Food. Then we have a sort of fresh fish, fresh fruit and veg and fresh meat business, which operates under different brands, Oliver K, Direct Seafoods and Campbell Brothers and Henson's. And we have some manufacturing businesses and we have some smaller wholesaling businesses. But all of them are focused at supporting the hospitality industry, which has obviously been a a fairly tumultuous journey over the last 18 months, you know, the pubs, hotels, restaurants, but we also do public sector. So we do care homes, hospitals, prisons, etc. So it's certainly been an interesting uh, 18 months. Yeah, I, can't, I mean, just thinking about how you're describing that, I can't even form a sentence to imagine what that must have been like for you. The challenges of all of that customer base that you've just described have been phenomenal, haven't they, through the pandemic and the changes that brought? Yes, and, and they've been quite different. So March, when the lockdown was first announced, our, our business declined by 73% in, in a week. Wow. Then we obviously went through the lockdown and then we came out of the lockdown and went into eat out to help out and then the business was booming. And then we had another lockdown and then we were going to have Christmas and that got cancelled. We had the little matter of Brexit thrown in the middle there. Then we obviously had back to school. We do, we do a lot of school supply. Mm. Schools went back for a day and then <laughs> they got stopped again and everyone went back into lockdown. Since May, with, with the reopening of hospitality, it's it's been booming, to be honest. So uh, you know, our sales now are back up above what they were in, in 2019. And we're struggling with, I suppose, different challenges, which are fairly well publicized at the moment in the papers around product availability, driver availability, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I can't imagine a more perfect storm of things hitting you all at the same time. Our podcast is titled Unlocking Leadership. I'm guessing that's been quite the challenge over the last couple of years then. It has been a challenge because obviously the the different needs of the different colleagues within the business. We've got about 5,500 employees in, in the bid food business and 3,000, 3,500 of those are operational. So they're working in the warehouse, driving, delivering, etc. And therefore they, they've got to carry on doing that. They haven't got any of the, the work from home option, etc., but then obviously we have a number of people who are sort of office-based and therefore were isolating and working from home. And there's different challenges in, in both of those. And as you say, there's different challenges when the business is 73% down on what it usually is versus when it's 20% up on what it on what it usually is. Both both of them present challenges. You know, I suppose the key to leadership is finding ways to to sort of guide, motivate, communicate to people in all of those situations. 
And I guess you didn't have enough challenges, though, because you took the opportunity during that time to write a book as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been a, a, probably three years in the making, to be honest. I, I had a, a, a fit of, you might say, inspiration or a fit of stupidity sort of three or four years ago to say I, I could write a book. And I sort of bashed out a rough model and then just sort of left it for a couple of years, maybe adding a little bit when I was on holiday or whatever. But with lockdown, obviously, I was doing far less traveling around the country, zero international travel, found that I had some, some time then in the, in the evenings and the mornings to actually to finish it off. So uh, I decided to do that. And it was an, an, another interesting challenge, as you say, because I, I self-published it. So learning about book design, finding an editor, finding a publisher and a printer and, and all that sort of stuff was all quite interesting. Kept me occupied. <laughs> Well, I've been lucky enough to read your book. So let's bring it to life a little bit. It's called Ignite Your Business. Tell us a bit more about that title. Like you, I'm sure I've, I've read a lot of books o- over the years and some of them have stuck with me f- forever. You know, they made a real difference. And those are the ones, you know, for me, they'd be things like, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or something like that. You still remember, even though it was decades ago that, that I read it. And I wanted to... I guess, have a book that would be memorable and impactful, but also useful. Because I think I've also read too many books that I get bored with halfway through because they're too theoretical or too complicated. And you know, what I wanted to try and do was just condense and simplify all the things that I'd learned over my 35 years in, in the business and try and communicate it in a simple and impactful way. And I liked the word ignite. I like acronyms, as I'm sure anybody who who works with me would tell you, I for inspirational vision, you've got to have a great vision, and G for galvanizing the team, getting everybody behind that vision and moving them forward, N for nurturing the team, making sure you're developing, protecting, and training the team, I for increase everything, so really sort of increasing your efforts and everything that you do, T for tell, 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 which is all about internal communication, which you know, can never be overdone. It's probably the, the most important element of, of any business. And then E for embed, embed it within the business. So integrate things into the business, optimize them, and then move on to the next project that you want to launch. And your book reminded me of a couple of other books that I have read by means of telling your audience about that acronym by means of a sort of parable or a story, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess the reminder that came in there for me, not that it's a similar story, but that that format reminded me of things like Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team or the Oldie But Goodie One Minute Manager series of books that are still relevant today, I think. What what made you choose that as a format? I think partly the One Minute Manager, that will be another of those iconic books. You know, Ken Blanchard can still, still remember that one. And the thing I like about the sort of the, the parallel story running that to sort of demonstrate the points I'm trying to make in each chapter is you get to to a certain extent draw upon experiences that you've had in work you know it's, it's not an autobiography where I'm going to you know, dish the dirt on the, on all the people who I've worked with obviously through through the storytelling you can take instances and situations that you've had at work and, and bring them to life and I think that's one advantage secondly yeah there are real life business examples in the book as well but it's really quite hard to find you know a real life example that perfectly fits 
the point you're trying to make, whereas obviously through storytelling, you can get that message across more clearly. And I think both, as you say, the, the One Minute Manager books or you know, Richest Man in Babylon, all those sort of things, the, the storytelling model is quite well established in, in sort of business and self-development books. So I thought it fitted in quite well. Yeah, I think it does. There's quite a lot of psychology attached to it as well, isn't there, around sort of exploring the metaphorical representation of a particular style as well. Yes, I, I didn't realise, but apparently it's the different use of different sides of the brain. So you obviously using a different side of your brain in the storytelling analysis rather than the, the sort of the factual analysis. Well, I understand from having read your book that it's also not linear. I don't need to read it in order, do I? I don't necessarily need to go from one to another. What would you say to someone who's picking this book up for the first time in terms of how to use it? I mean, I wanted a book that was, like I say, simple and instantly actionable. I am a firm believer that, you know, you you haven't gained any value until you've actually put something into action. You know, you can learn stuff and read about stuff, but until you actually act upon it, you haven't gained any value from it. So each chapter is structured in a similar way, because again, I'm, I like things to be quite simple. So you know, explaining the principle of that chapter, talking about why it's a good thing, the advantages of doing it well, the disadvantages of not doing it well, and then some business examples, the, the, the storytelling, and then an action plan at the end, the way you can actually just go away and do something about that. So thinking about Ignite then, where's a good starting point for someone in a leadership role now, perhaps less experienced than you might be with the size of business that you're running? What advice might you offer them from the Inspire chapter, for example? I think the, the inspirational vision would be the, the place to start because uh, you know, no matter whether you're running a team within a larger business or whether you're running a, a small business or whether you're even you know, just running a, a solo operation, you, know, you have to really know what it is that you're standing for, what it is that you're aiming for, what you're trying to achieve, what's the vision of, of, of what you come into work every day for. And that whole process of trying to identify and communicate in a way that's you know, engaging and passionate and uh, inspiring for others is really the important part of, of, of any leader's role to actually bring the team with you or, or to bring your customers with you or to excite your customers or suppliers in terms of what you're trying to do. So I think the, the inspirational vision, if you don't have that, you're going to find it very hard to bring a team with you because you, you won't be able to in, excite and uh, engender that passion. And you know, without that passion, that self-motivation, you're going to struggle to bring you know, the team with you to achieve what you want to. Mm. Vision's an interesting area to think about, isn't it? So, so often it's something that's perhaps, you know, in the corporate accounts or on the wall in reception or something like that, but actually doesn't live and breathe in each member of the workforce. How do you form that vision in a way that your people can really buy into and get behind? It has to be something that everybody has sort of bought into to a certain extent. I think the vision and the values, because I, I think you know, the vision is you know, the long-term goal, which you know, a lot of the people won't think about that every day. But the values in terms of the way that you operate as a business and what's important to you should be thought about and demonstrated every day. It's really important that the people are in, engaged in creating those values. I think you know, in, in Bid Food, we had about 50 workshops across the country with all different geographies, different job roles, different ages, you know, whatever, to get a wide range of 
views as to what was special about working at Bidfood. And then we spent a lot of time as a, as a leadership team sort of distilling that down and finding a great way to communicate it. So yeah, we, we just ended up with three values, care, share, and dare, which happened to rhyme. So that's good. I guarantee everybody knows them. Care is about taking pride in what you do, no matter what you do. Share is about working together to make great things happen. And dare is about taking brave steps to deliver extraordinary results. So just within those three words, you've really captured a lot about caring, working together as a team, sharing and collaboration, daring and, and, and innovation. Yeah, we do a lot of training within the business for the management teams. We explain for each role how care, share and dare applies to you if you're a, a warehouse picker or if you're a telesales operator or if you're a sales rep on the road. It's going to mean different things. So we try to bring it to life in, in that way and so far as really relating it to everybody's day-to-day job and what's sort of expected of them. Yeah, I love that. I'm wondering how you then as the senior leader in that business, how do you bring that to life yourself in the way that you show up? I try and bring it to life through a lot of the communication that I do. You know, we'll always reference one or more of of the values, you know, some may call it brainwashing, but I call it, you know, reinforcement. You know, it's all about, you know, we're doing this because we care for our customers and suppliers or, you know, we're doing this because we're daring to be to be different. And I think, yeah, that's just that constant reinforcement. Anything that I do when I'm walking around, you know, one of the depots, just looking to see how everybody's treating each other, talking about how the briefings and communications are going, just showing an interest in all the things that should be operating as good practice if those values were working on on a daily basis. We also have an annual people survey where every we get 95% response rate. And yeah, there are questions in there about, do you understand the values? Do you understand how they relate to your role, etc.? So we're constantly just checking, I suppose, that uh, they're still lived and breathed. I mean, they've been around for seven years now. So they're you have to do a lot more work in the first year or two to get them established than you do to to maintain them, but it's still really important to maintain and refresh them. I'm sort of sensing a link to one of the later letters in Ignite, the T of Tal and Tal and Tal again. It feels like communication of that is a really important part in this. Yeah, communication is is absolutely fundamental. I think the quote that I start that chapter with is, is George Bernard Shaw that says, you know, the biggest problem with communication is the misconception that it's taken place. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people say something or tell something and they call that communication but that's not communication that's just you know speaking and yeah it's really important that you communicate you know the right message at the right time in the right way to the right group of people within our business and I'm sure similar in 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 others you know you've got different groups of people who want to receive information in in different ways so like I say you know if you're a warehouse picker in the freezer on the night shift you know you're working eight ten hours a night at minus 24 degrees centigrade you don't want to go and sit in a a meeting room for half an hour you'll fall asleep within two minutes because of the because the heat and the and the warmth you know you'd rather be standing in the in the warehouse not not in the freezer but in in the in the ambient warehouse yeah having a, a quicker presentation simpler charts and more relevant to you if you want to bring people in early and get them a bacon butty and a cup of coffee and you know show them that it's important give them time you know you're not eating into their time to do their work you're providing extra time for them to listen 
whereas you know the IT team would be want to be communicated in a different way and the HR team maybe in a different way and the finance team in a different way. So you've got to think about who you're trying to communicate to, what message you're trying to get across and really tailor the timing, the method of communication, the style of communication, the message, etc., to those people. So it's to suit the recipient, not to suit the teller. And then I think the really important thing is to is to check understanding and get that feedback loop. Because as I say, you could do a presentation to everybody and, and say, well, you know, I've communicated that. But if you haven't checked that everybody's understood what you're trying to tell them, then you haven't communicated it, you've just presented it. And we all have our own preconceptions, don't we? We all have our own lenses through which we view life. And you know, you've got to make sure that you haven't miscommunicated anything or it's been misconstrued. So communication is the one thing you can't overdo. You just can't over-communicate. You know, I'm happy if people at work might say, you know, I wish you'd stop banging on about such and such a thing because at least it means that they know that I keep talking about it. Yeah. As opposed to just mentioning it once and uh, and never mentioning it again. Yeah. I think the other thing around communication is making sure that you've got a consistent message. So we've got over five thousand people in bid food across twenty five sites. So whilst it's important to communicate in a way that's suitable for the audience, sometimes you've got some really clear messages that you want to go consistently as well. So we'll provide a guidance note for the for the briefing managers. I do a video every quarter that's then shown to everybody in all of the depots. So you're communicating key business messages directly, albeit through the telly, to everybody in the business. So you know that that bit specifically is going to be the same for everybody. So I think there are lots of lots of ways to do it. But it's really, I think, the most important thing, I think, is to spend a lot more time thinking about it than actually doing it. Because the more time you spend preparing and thinking, then the better that communication will be. I guess at the beginning of your leadership career, sometimes that's missed, isn't it? It's sort of done in a hurry. It's not actually the same care and consistency put into it or the thought of, as you quite rightly say, what's appropriate for the audience rather than what is it that you need to say? Hopefully we do now. Certainly when I started, you, you don't get any training on uh, on that. You're sort of chucked in as a, as a new manager and told to go and communicate to uh, your new team. And uh, you just do the best you can and you learn by trial and error. Obviously, nowadays, there's a lot more training on it. But uh, certainly, all the, I think all the lessons I've learned over the years have been put in the book. So you don't have to make the same mistakes as uh, as I did, which I, I didn't own up to in the book, I have to say. <laughs> I'm seeing another link between what you're talking about now about treating everyone as individuals, thinking about making a tailored communication plan, depending on who you're speaking to, considering the environment that each of those groups of people would be working in. I wonder if we could think now about nurture then. Let's say something more about this. Again, I'm thinking here about how you listen, how you see people. You reference one of my favourite things in this chapter about the the way the Ubuntu work and show up and greet each other. I wonder if you'd like to say something about that. Again, too often we will recruit somebody into a role and just expect them to, to get on with it. The point I make in the book is around you know, n- nurturing. You should almost think about how you nurture and raise your children. Not to say that the people we work with are, are like our children, but they're like your family. You don't just have a kid and then leave them to get on with it. You know, you you spend a lot of time you know, protecting them, looking after them, making sure they've got what they need, making sure they're safe, making sure they understand 
what life is about, what the world is about, and then training and educating and, and developing them until such time as you know, you're able to set them free. And it's the same principle you know, on a more simple basis. When you take on a new team or when somebody joins the business, you know, you've got to protect them, look after them, talk to them, make sure they understand how the world is in that part of the business, make sure they understand what's expected, help them, train them, develop them, and then you know, give them more and more responsibility until you can set them free. Yes, the word uh, Ubuntu, that was a that was one of the, a favorite one of Nelson Mandela, which is basically along the, the lines of I am because we are. So basically, it's it's not all about me. I can only achieve what I can achieve if we all achieve what, what we all achieve together. There's a story in the book just about uh, the guy going to a village in a remote part of Africa and and trying to encourage all the all the children in the tribe to have a race. And he's got a big bowl of uh, fruit, and he says, you know, whoever wins the race from from that hut to this tree gets the big bowl of fruit and all of the kids set off in the race and they're age, they're aged between like three and 16. So the 16 year olds are, are charging out in front, but eventually they, the ones in the front just stop and wait for everyone to catch up and hold hands and cross the, the finish line together as it were. And the guy was like going, well, that's amazing. Why, why did you do that? Why didn't you just win and have all the fruit to yourself? To which the biggest boy said, well, how can I enjoy the fruit if I know that my colleagues, my friends haven't got any. And it's the same principle of, you know, we can't achieve anything on our own and we have to work together and there's no enjoyment for selfish achievement. The enjoyment is for, you know, achieving things and and doing things as, as a team. I really love that story. I think it's so powerful. And I think there's something else in there that, you know, potentially, some new leaders might come at that and think, yeah, but you know, what about the results? What about the winning actually isn't performance the thing that should be driving me most? But performance will follow with that, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure anyone in my team would tell you I'm quite focused on the performance. And I think, but you have to have that trust and that belief that you're going to achieve it as as a team before you can deliver the performance. So we put some very stretching targets in place for, for our business, but we'd also spent the time before that, you know, really establishing the, the values and, and the sense of team. And also, as importantly, when you set those stretching targets, you also explain how we can achieve those targets. Anybody can stick a big number on the wall and say, hey, we're going to achieve that. But what, what we try to do is say, well, this is where we're going to get to. And these are the things which we are all going to do as a team that will help us to get to that state. You know, this will deliver 10%, that will deliver 20%, that will deliver another 30%. And all of those things together will get us to where we need to be. But we have to work as a team to do that. Yeah. Leading into the second I then around increasing everything. Say some more about that. There's a great book by a guy called uh, Grant Cardone called 10X. And in that, he says, when faced with a problem, you've basically got four choices. You know, the first is to retreat. The second is to do nothing. The third is to take the normal amount of action that you need. And the fourth is to take massive amounts of action. And his argument is that obviously the first two will get you nowhere. The third one, if you just take normal amounts of action, you probably still won't get anywhere because things change as as you act because business is a dynamic environment. So to actually make progress, you have to take massive action. And the increase everything principle is that you know, all, all too often we launch an initiative or we try new things. And after two months of it hasn't worked, it gets 
canned and we say, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Whereas really you should be trying to understand why and you know, increasing your efforts in that area to, to really give it a chance and to maximize the opportunities for success. But the other thing that we do is we might launch a few initiatives to fail so we can them, to do really well so we just carry on with them. But again, the ones that are doing well, you should be looking at them and saying, why are they doing well? And let's increase what we're doing in that area. You, know, you should be building on that momentum. So I suppose my argument is whether, whether it's going well or badly, you should be increasing your efforts in each of those areas in the early stages. Mm. Obviously, at some point, if something goes badly when, you've, <laughs> when you have given it a good go, then clearly you need to stop doing it and do something else. But I think too often we, we stop ideas too soon. We stop initiatives too soon because we're not prepared to do that extra level of effort or investment that's needed. And you draw out a really interesting change of language in that chapter as well, the what if versus if only sort of approach to how you make changes or how you ramp things up. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think that's sort of a bit of a mantra I have to, to our team is, you know, just taking massive action is not an excuse for not thinking things through properly. So you should really think things through really hard before you do anything. You should do your scenario planning. You should do your scenario analysis. And my point is you should be, keep on asking what if so that you never have to say if only. So I would say, you know, what, the sales team should be going, you know, what if, you know, our competitor cuts the price by 10%. What if people want to stop eating that particular product? What if there's a new restaurant chain opens over here? What if there's a CO2 crisis, which is the latest one? But, you know, what? keep asking all those questions. What would we do if? So you've got some idea in your head and some plans. Because what I like least is when people say, oh, if only, uh, if only our competitor hadn't cut their prices by 10%, or if only we'd have known that new restaurant chain was opening. And many of those you could have thought about yourself in the first place. So really focus on the what if questions so you don't have to do the if only excuses, really. I love that. There's something really future focused about the what if question, isn't there? And something rather retrospective about the if only. You know, what's gone is gone, isn't it? Yeah. And if only is is usually just reflecting on a failure. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's usually if only I had known what I know now. We can't obviously do everything, but you, you can certainly think through some obvious things. So I'm just thinking about coming back to where we started, the response that your business had to the the wave of ups and downs through the pandemic. And as you come out of it, as you quite rightly say, hitting all sorts of other challenges now. When you think about how you emerge from that, what's important, do you think, for leaders working right now in this changing dynamic? What advice would you give to people that you're using yourself? The, the I and the T, you, know, you, you do have to have that vision of, of where you're going. So I think one of the first things we did was sort of sit down as a, as a leadership team and say, what's changed now with the pandemic is our strategic direction still the same are the things that we want to focus on still the same you know what's changed with the market the consumer the competitors the the environment that we may need to alter our strategy so just really sense check your your vision sense check you're going in the right direction sense check that some things haven't changed that that are going to impact on what you're trying to do and achieve 
And then again, it's just all about communication. You know, whether people are at home on furlough or under the cosh at work, it's just stress of a different kind. It's about communicating to the teams that you do understand the situation, that you are doing something about it as a business, that you do have plans for the future, that you are caring for their you know, situation. And uh, I guess communicating clearly as to what the journey is and, and the way that you see it going. I have no doubt that you know, there will be more ups and downs, won't there? I mean, <laughs> we're, you know, we're not back to whatever normal was before. I think the supply chain issues are going to be with us for another six, nine months. And you know, who knows what else will, will come into the mix. So you know, I think anybody who thinks that you're in for an easy ride is, is mistaken. So from a leadership perspective, be clear about what you're doing, communicate constantly and just keep checking with your team that they're, that they're okay and that they're still motivated and still working in the right direction. I think that's really important and really useful advice. And something as a, I guess, maybe a last question for you is around what you do for yourself as well, Andrew. So it feels like sometimes the leader thinks of self last. There's a lot of care coming through for your team, a lot of work to do for the business. What do you do to keep yourself motivated and well and okay it can be a sort of an isolated place so it is important to try and look after yourself as you say try and get to the gym try and get some exercise i read and listen to other books because i think you know it's important just to keep the gray matter exercised and uh, and see what other ideas you you can pluck from other people it is back to that almost like the Ubuntu principle. You, you get your pleasure by working by working with a great team. So you just spend more time working with them and motivating them and, and being motivated by them. But yeah, it is important to not burn yourself out. And I, I do think you know, proper rest, proper exercise and, uh, and proper learning is, is, is three good ways of taking care of yourself. That's great advice. I'm thinking about that wonderful quote from Viktor Frankl that's in your book as well. I'm going to read it. I think it's lovely. You say, and he says, what is to give light must endure burning. Indeed. And I think very often when you're in the burning phase, <laughs> you don't recognise there's, uh, there's light coming at the end. So uh, it is important to uh, keep that motivation up. So I do think yeah, that that whole communication bit and nurturing bit are the two areas that I think will continually be important over the next six or nine months of uh, challenge that we have across the supply chain. Well, I mean, I wish you enormous success with that because it will, I think, as you quite rightly say, continue to be challenging, but has been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for all of that and for bringing your book to life for us. Thank you. No, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Unlocking Leadership, you can subscribe through all the regular podcast channels. And please do leave us a rating and review there. We'd also love you to share any episodes you've found interesting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or wherever, so that others can join the conversation and share their experiences. This podcast was made in association with Cornell. It was produced and edited by Nick Hilton for Podo. Thank you.